to the Reclaim app, where we're creating safe spaces of connection with God, each other, and ourselves. Hello to you all. This might be your first time listening to Reclaim's podcast. You're checking us out for the 10th time. Whether you're joining us for the first time or this is your 10th episode, you're all very welcome. Yes. Carrie, who is sitting with me, is Reclaim's founder <laughs> and is a pastor. And I just told Carrie this today. I actually have you listed as Pastor Carrie in my phone, <laughs> just to separate you from all the other Carries I know. Right. <laughs> and I'm Liz, along for this wild bride as friend, counseling therapist, and human. Hmm. Carrie, as Reclaim's founder, what was the reason to add a podcast, and what do you hope our listeners gain from following along with us? Hmm. Well, as you know, Liz, one of my deepest desires is to integrate the wisdom and practices of Christian spirituality with counseling, therapy, and other complementary practices for one's holistic health, mind, body, heart, and soul. At Reclaim, our intention is to create safe and calmer spaces to experience connection with God, each other, and ourselves. And the podcast is an extension of that desire and mission. Thank you, friend, for being on this journey with me. So good. And you are very welcome. (laughs) Uh, And I just want to say thanks for listening to God, Carrie, and your desire to help encourage others to choose a pace that helps them connect with God, Mm. self, and others. It's honestly such a needed gift in this world. And as today's episode marks the 10th and Reclaims podcast history, I I suggested to Carrie, I want to put her on the hot seat. (laughs) So my turn will come, I'm sure. We're going to play a round of this or that. Nice. To help our listeners know Carrie has interests outside the Bible. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, ready, Carrie. I, this is going to be a lightning round of this or that. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So, we're going to start with board games or card games? Board games. Shower or bath? Shower. Audiobook or ebook? Audio. Iced coffee or hot tea? Hot tea. Snowball fight or water balloon fight? Water balloon fight. M&M's or Smarties? M&M's. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? Smooth. Hanging plants or candlesticks? Oh, that's hard. Hanging plants. <laughs> Country music or alternative rock? Alternative rock. That's my girl. Christmas or Easter? That's also hard. Christmas. That's why I'm not in the hot seat, because <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it gets us to know you. You know, you like M&M's now. So this is like yes. new information. The Bible and M&M's. <laughs> that sums it up. I'm with you on that. Canadians, Canadian Smarties are garbage. So <laughs> today also marks the third episode in our Soul Feast series where we're inviting ourselves and you, our listeners, to get to know our souls more. Well, that might sound pretty trippy. Hmm. We want to encourage you to ease in by borrowing along with a spiritual director, Ruth Haley Barton's definition of the soul from her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, where she defines the soul as the core of your very selves. Essentially, it is the truest part of who we are. Soul Feast was intentionally launched during the season of Lent, and Carrie and I have explored ways to pay attention to what nourishes or depletes our souls through the practice of fasting, and they're exploring how sin and shame impact our souls. Mm -hmm. So you can check those episodes out when you're able, as we also share why Lent is such an important season in the life of the church. In today's episode, Carrie and I felt it was important to shift from last episode's sin and shame focus to guilt and confession. May as well keep on rolling. eh? That's right. But as there can be confusion around what can motivate someone to seek restoration through confessing something they've done or failed to do, a shame doesn't like to be spoken. 
What can be hard to navigate is knowing where the guilt I experience is coming from, especially if I'm not even sure how to talk about it. Yeah. Sometimes we can struggle with knowing why we're feeling guilty about something, especially if so many people around us are getting passionate about something and we're not even sure what we believe about it. Is it like bad that I I don't have the same level of passion saving the whales like that other person does? Or is it bad I feel so guilty or maybe not as guilty as I think I should feel about eating seven pieces of fruit with chocolate when the women around me almost seem to be eating three pieces and judging themselves for even eating that much? And that I, who had seven pieces, still want more? What's wrong with my metabolism? What's wrong with me? <laughs> so this can, and this can cause us to enter this existential crisis over fruit and chocolate. Yeah. And this may or not this may or may not have been based on actual events in my life. So <laughs> I remember during the pandemic, there were many opinions about so many things mm-hmm. and not just about the actual pandemic, but major events and shifts in our culture. I know so many people who wrestled with how they should or should not be responding to whatever was front and center in the news each day, because each of us has our own story with unique values and beliefs and perspectives and convictions. So I remember people saying like, whoa, Liz, I feel like I need to have an opinion on everything these days. I barely know what I'm going to make for dinner tonight. (laughs) And so in the midst of big worldwide events and shifts in cultural values and norms, it's understandable why you can feel conflicted or confused about what you're feeling and where, like when you're starting to feel guilty, where that guilt is even coming from. Mm -hmm. So is it bad that I don't know what I should be doing or thinking about this? Is it bad I don't feel guilty? Should I tell someone about what I'm feeling? Is the guilty emotion I'm feeling coming from within myself or is it coming from something or someone external? Mm. And most of the time in the midst of all these wrestlings, I heard so many versions of, well, maybe I'm just a terrible person or again, what's wrong with me? Mm. Carrie, I wonder if this connects with you. The idea that guilty as an emotional experience can be conflicting. Like, shouldn't it be obvious that if you feel guilty, you should just know what to do about it? Because why not just give our listeners a basic definition of guilty and then jump us all right into the practice of confession? That would save us uh, some minutes of listening time. (laughs) That's true. Oh, unfortunately, guilt has played a major role in my life for almost as long as I can remember. If you know me, then you know the phrase, I feel bad, is like my go-to. And... I can't even count how many times I've asked what's wrong with me. Yes. Although I think, or I like to think, I'm getting better at this as I learn the language around my emotions and how I respond to them. Recently, while working with my counselor, I discovered how so much of the guilt I've been carrying with me Mm. is self-imposed and connected to my perfectionism, which always shows up as the fatal question what will people think? Mm -hmm. Or what do people think? Or how could I have done more, been more? My guilt is deeply tied to my expectations, whether real or perceived. And I like how you use the word conflicting, because that's very much how guilt feels for me, an internal battle between my true Mm -hmm. self and false self. So no surprise, Liz, but I like how Brene talks about guilt in Atlas of the Heart. I'm starting to call her Saint uh, Brene (laughs) to carry. (laughs) Love it. So Brene writes, like shame, guilt is an emotion that we experience when we fall short of our own expectations or standards. However, with guilt, our focus is on having some having done something wrong and on doing something to set things right, like apologizing or changing behavior. She continues to say that empathy and guilt work together to create a force that is adaptive and powerful. Mm. 
And I think that's, there's the conflict. Mm -hmm. How do we know which guilt is healthy guilt tied to empathy, remorse, and a genuine desire to make things right? And when is it unhealthy, self-imposed, and preventing us from flourishing? Yeah, like if you could just go onto your computer and type in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What is this? But that's what we're going to explore in this episode. What is at the root of your experience of guilty? Or another way of asking this is, what is your emotion of guilty communicating to you? And Carrie, I'm with you in the confusion around the difference between healthy and unhealthy guilt, especially as I navigated a long journey of fear in my childhood and youth. Mm. You share Bernie's definition of guilt as an emotion we experience when we fall short of our own expectations or standards. What about those who define guilt as an emotional experience when they fall short of God's expectations or standards? Oh, that's a great question. Liz, I'm curious, how has guilt, healthy or unhealthy, shown up in your story? I am... I want to I want to share a bit of my upbringing with you and I I grew up in a Christian home and went to church every week sometimes multiple times a week if there was a children's program when I was a kid or youth group when I was a teenager. So overall overall looking back over those years I'm so grateful I was raised to see the importance of not just attending a church but participating in the life of the church through volunteering. My experiences have shaped the reasons I became a youth pastor originally and have now shaped me as a counseling therapist, because it was in those years I developed and grew a love for people through seeing my parents help out with Christmas hampers or taking us to homeless shelters to help with meals or seeing my mom lead backyard children's clubs in our very diverse and multicultural neighborhood. Hmm. My parents often had people who came from difficult or broken family backgrounds join in at our family dinners. And even my mom, on top of having 10 kids of her own, would sometimes let some of the neighborhood kids spend the night, especially if maybe one of their parents had been drinking too much or had to work an overnight shift. Mm. So no matter how much I may share about hard things from my upbringing and podcast episodes, I wouldn't change all the beautiful ways my parents modeled helping those outside, you know, my own family walls. Yeah, beautiful. I also had a fairly solid biblical foundation to draw from and the central part of being a Christian for me, which is knowing and following Jesus and being the beloved daughter of God, stems from my upbringing. Mm. However, as I mentioned in our second episode, it took me into my early 30s before I began to fall in love with the person of Jesus. Mm. It's not that I didn't know Jesus before or love him, but the depth of relationship I have with him now is missing then. Mm. And here's part of the reason why. When I was growing up and learning about God and emotions and how to be in the world at a young age, all the things, Mm -hmm. I would sometimes mess up and not necessarily always through overt sin, like hurting another kid, as sometimes kids do when they're trying to figure out boundaries and communication. It would show sometimes in how I would talk, which was not always respectful. And not that this was okay, but rather than someone modeling for me how to communicate with kindness, I would sometimes hear, Liz... And you call yourself a Christian. So as a young kid and as a young teenager, I remember those words would sting my mind and my heart. Mm. I would slink away and remember saying sir to God over and over again, begging him not to take his salvation away from me. But my repentant heart was not motivated from a genuine heart of remorse, but from a position of fear of losing God. Mm. Because if I truly was a Christian, Carrie, I wouldn't do that, right? (laughs) No room for error, no room for gentle correction. Needless to say, compassion towards myself was a very long and hard journey. So at a very young age, I began to form this idea of a God who was sternly looking at me, making sure my behavior matched the title of Christian I supposedly carried with me. Mm. I felt what I now know to be shame. 
I'm not good enough. I have to try harder or or I'll get in trouble. Please don't turn away from me, God. Big, big, big. While I grew up knowing some beautiful people in my childhood and youth, and I'm grateful for how these relationships and experiences shaped who I am today, the shadow side of my childhood experiences of fear and shame were ones that left me feeling isolated, confused, and I am very sure were the reasons I developed such a fear of talking. Hmm. I was ridiculously shy up until I was about 17 years old. All those scary emotions I felt were often buried because I didn't know how to talk about my fears. And so over time, these unprocessed emotions and fear-filled childhood experiences contributed to developing a storyline of hiddenness grounded in shame. Hmm. So shame started very young for me. It was often dealt with, I put that in quotes, through performance. Mm. You know, I genuinely like school. I really enjoy cooking and baking and all those kinds of things. Um, And I love playing with my younger brothers and getting my family to play board games and card games. So it's not that what I was busy about weren't things I genuinely loved, but by staying busy, I didn't have to pay attention to the fear-based shame, which was slowly becoming part of my DNA. Mm. I will say I developed a compulsion for cleaning, which I would now label OCD today because it became such an unhealthy obsession. And you can only imagine how hard to maintain because I lived with 11 other people (laughs) in a very small house. It was never good enough. One life-altering event happened when I was about 12 years old. I remember being in swimming lessons, and a young boy swam up to me, called me fat while I was wearing a swimming suit, of course, and swam away. Which is awkward enough when you're starting to develop as a young pre-adolescent girl and about to go through the wonderful world of puberty. But because I didn't know how to talk about hard things, especially with a God who I felt so much fear and shame with, I buried that embarrassment deep inside. And it led me on a close to 10-year journey of having a very unhealthy relationship with food and my body. Mm. I'm bringing up these examples because as a teenager and 20-something, my childhood shame narrative didn't just go away with aging. Mm. Because my shame was grounded in fear of punishment, I grew very quiet and hardly shared anything real with anyone because I felt so guilty for thinking so poorly about myself. A real Christian wouldn't struggle this much, would they? A really, a really transforming event, though, happened. I won't even call it an event, more like a moment. I remember when I was an older teenager, lying in the backseat of a car on a road trip back from Canada's Wonderland. <laughs> I was silently crying myself to sleep. And this was following a fun day with some guy friends and one of my siblings. Thankfully, their music was blasting so loudly, no mm-hmm. one could hear me. But I was crying, and this was actually unusual because I hardly ever cried growing up because I was so internally frozen and stuck a lot of the time. It's amazing how clear this day in my mind is today. I kept telling myself, you're such a loser, Liz. Why are you so afraid all the time? No one sees you. No one wants you. You shouldn't be here. You should be dead. Which there's nothing funny at all about those thoughts, but ironic to think those as one of the guys in the front had a very big crush on me and was the first guy to tell me he thought I was beautiful, which I awkwardly dismissed because I didn't feel worthy of his affection towards me. Mm. The point is that it was such a mentally and emotionally tormenting drive back until, until my brother who was sitting beside me placed his hoodie on top of me or bunny hug for those of you who live in Saskatchewan. I don't know if he knew I was so teary eyed as I tried so hard to hide it. But I remember distinctly in that moment experiencing the presence of God on me. Looking back over those years, I know that while I was so fear-filled and afraid of getting it wrong, I also know God was drawing me closer to knowing His Father's heart for me. And it showed in all these little ways, 
like my brother covering me with his hoodie when I felt so alone and in such a dark place. I think that was the only time I ever experienced that strong sense that I didn't want to be alive anymore. Because man, carry fear is so shackling. But God's presence broke into my darkness. And I distinctly remember such an incredible feeling of his peace and comfort. It's like he was saying, I got you, Liz. Hmm. It would take years and intentional work in my 20s and 30s to come to know the kindness and goodness of Jesus, the God I so love today. Intentional work in breaking off lies and thoughtless words spoken over my mind, my body, heart, and my soul. And because shame hates to be spoken, it also took learning to be vulnerable with people who loved me and were invested in me and my healing. And so, Carrie, I bring this up because fear-based shame has left such an indelible mark on my soul and my mind in particular. Mm. As Brene says, shame hates to be spoken. Keep it all in the dark. It played out in my adult years through not feeling I could ask anyone for help, white-knuckling my way through life, as I know you can relate to. I struggled to know what was really true about me as God's daughter and what was the version of the truth shame was speaking over me. Hmm. And that also showed in my fear-based prayers as an adult. God, if you're listening, or if it's your will to help me, right? Like, it's like I'm begging for his presence. I would beg God in my prayers. I don't know. I didn't know what it would look like to be a carefree daughter sitting on the lap of her father, Heavenly Father, telling him about her day and listening to his voice. I had been such a scared and exhausted Christian. And while fear is broken off and is continuing to be broken off as I daily live in the truth, I am God's beloved daughter, I do attest much of my exhaustion to a shame-driven guilt in my strivings to earn a seat at God's table, a seat I apparently felt I kept losing every time I messed up. <sighs> Liz, your story, there's just so many pieces there I want to touch on. I just, you're not alone. Um, I'm with you. So much of what you said resonates with my own story. And you really made me pause mm. for a moment to consider the ways we engage with ourselves on a daily oh, basis. Goodness. Yes. Reflecting on our relationship with ourselves, it's actually pretty shocking, mm-hmm. isn't it? The overwhelming amount of negative self-talk, thoughts, doubts, and perceptions we are burdened with, the things we say, think, and do to ourselves that we would never repeat or want to intentionally say, think, or do yeah. to another person, mm-hmm. especially someone we love. Yeah, exactly. And I'm saddened to think of how many people are suffering in silence with fear-based shame and guilt when we are created to suffer together in our shared humanity, not just rejoice together and pretend we are all good Mm -hmm. and full of faith. Positive vibes. Yeah. But no, we're made to sit with each other in all the stuff and know what it means to be loved in that place. I believe that's the journey our souls are on, finding love and belonging as we are in this moment, exactly as it is. Yet shame and guilt are always close to cut off that connection and silence us. Sounds like you understand well how shame and guilt mm-hmm. often feel like they take away our voice. Yeah, all too familiar. And it has been my experience that it takes intention, like you said, to quiet those loud voices and discern when we can partner our shame and guilt with empathy, compassion, and grace as something that can be transformative individually and collectively. Oh gosh, yes, friend. And why I believe shame breaks off when stories are shared isn't because I believe I was a sinless woman who was just afraid. I did mess up many times, but it was difficult for me in my fear to distinguish a genuine repentant heart, which for me as a Christian is motivated through God's love 
mm-hmm. which draws me into relationship and connection through that general remorse mm-hmm. versus a shame-based guilt motivated by fear of losing God's love, which disconnects me. Yes. I sometimes think about my younger self, especially we can, when she can still sh- sometimes show up in my adult years. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to say, I got you, girl, because I know God's got me. And when I do experience guilt, I have a deeper knowing of where it's coming from. So it's probably good to explain how I know the difference now. Mm-hmm. Mark McMinn, who I referenced last episode, is a clinical psychologist who integrates faith and psychology. He writes in his book, Psychology, Theology, and Spirituality in Christian Counseling, Guilt has sometimes been perceived as a harmful and self-defeating emotion accompanying religious faith. At other times, guilt is perceived as an emotion that reflects empathy for others and leads to useful reparative actions. Mm. Recent research suggests that there may be a place for healthy guilt. Several religious psychologists like S. Bruce Marimore distinguishes between constructive sorrow, which is a remorseful response leading to confession and reconciliation, and self-focused guilt, which is similar to shame, a response that damages one's self-image. Guilt is not always a negative phenomenon. Hmm. Guilt helps us understand and adhere to moral standards, supports our sense of order in the universe, and motivates us to reconcile with one another. Guilt not only sometimes prevents blaming, resentment, and anger, and by this anger that just kind of builds into resentment, Hmm. but it can also lead to a greater understanding of God's grace. McMinn ends up referencing King David, who once who wrote much of the Psalms in the Bible and says David knew that proper guilt and confession is the only path to forgiveness and restoration. David's experience and understanding of guilt as he walked close to God speaks to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And Carrie, this 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 passage of scripture brought to mind this example as of, of how this plays out as we look at the responses of two different disciples who walk closely and intimately with Jesus. Hmm. In Luke chapter 22, verse 34, Jesus told Peter, one of these disciples, that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed on the morning of Jesus' arrest. Peter had declared he would go to prison or even die. He would never deny Jesus. And how often do we maybe say we would never do that, right? Yeah. But after Jesus had been arrested and people saw Peter waiting outside, they asked him if he had been associated with Jesus. And three times Peter denied it. Hmm. So when the rooster crowed, Peter's response was a deep remorse, which eventually led to seeking restoration and forgiveness. Another of Jesus' disciples, Judas, did betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And this act of betrayal is what led to the arrest of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, we read Judas was, Judas was also filled with remorse and even returned the 30 pieces of silver. Hmm. The difference is that his remorse did not lead him to seek restoration through forgiveness. Judas's guilt was shame-filled and self-imposed, and he allowed his shame to be the final voice in his story. His experience of shame was so overwhelming, he ended up taking his own life. Peter experienced what we would call a healthy guilt and conviction through the Holy Spirit, whereas Judas, though remorseful, genuinely remorseful, was grounded in unhealthy, shame-filled guilt. The reality carries that both these men were fully beloved of God, and forgiveness was equally available. They each chose a different path. That was such a great example of how guilt can play out in different ways. And I appreciate how you said both of these men— are beloved mm-hmm. by God, yes. even though they chose different paths. Knowing our belovedness is so essential to releasing the power of guilt and shame in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know about you, Liz, but this love of God stuff, it's not easy to really live out of that place, Mm -hmm. the place where we are seen, heard, known, and held, the place where we extend that same love to others. As lovely and wonderful as God's love sounds, and as I've experienced it to be, this place of confession and repentance with our sins laid bare can also move us to feel shame and guilt not only from the sin itself, but in the face of God's love. I don't know. I mm-hmm. sometimes find it hard to comprehend that someone or something could love us that much with such expansiveness, with so much room, with so much grace. It's not too hard to put ourselves in the story of both Peter and mm, Judas. Not at all. Yeah. Um, I've been referencing Richard Foster's notes as we've been going through the different practices, and he writes this about confession. He says, confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. I think what he's saying here is we acknowledge and name our sins, the things that disconnect us from God, naming them for what they are in mind, body, and soul. And then he says, But we also remember the heart of the Father. Mm -hmm. He is like a shepherd who will risk anything to find that one lost sheep. We do not have to make God willing to forgive us. In fact, it is God who is working to make us willing to seek his forgiveness. Mm, Amen. Mm. And that's what's so hard is that we don't have to earn it. Yes. That's where that tension comes from. Exactly. We do not have to make God willing to forgive us. So beautiful. Amen. Um, What might also help differentiate between an unhealthy shame-based guilt driven by self and a healthy guilt driven by genuine remorse and desire for connection and restoration maybe played out in a little role play Carrie and I devised. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what we're going to do is I'll be playing the role of counseling therapist Liz and Carrie will be playing the role of client Carrie. We're going to play out the same situation in both scenarios that Carrie's going to be bringing into therapy. And in both scenarios, Carrie has been seeing Liz for a few sessions and is bringing the current struggle she's having into her fourth session. All right. So, scenario number one. Okay, Carrie, as always, it's good to see you. I'm curious if there's something specific you want to address in session today. If not, we can continue from where we left off last session. Oh, yeah, no, there is something I need to talk about. Um, My anxiety has been heightened lately. I'm functioning fine, but I'm having trouble keeping my emotions in check. And it's making me feel like a terrible mother. I just feel so guilty all the time. I guarantee my kids will be coming to see you when they're older. Probably. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I okay. I just find the more stress I carry in my mind and body, the shorter my fuse gets and everything starts to annoy me. You know, I love my kids with everything in me. Yet sometimes when they try to start to share their day with me, what's going on, I just find I don't feel like I have the time and I rush our interactions. Or when it seems like they just can't understand what's needed to be done around the house or at school, rather than problem solve with them, I'm just raising my voice now and becoming so frustrated very fast. I just feel so bad. Oh, well, that's not good, Carrie. You must feel pretty crummy about yourself. Yeah, I do. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, what do you think is wrong with me? Well, I'm wondering, should I be like concerned for your kids? It sounds like you're hurting them pretty badly. 
I mean, I kind of thought by now you'd have figured out how to rein in your emotions and use them more adaptively. Are you taking your medication or, you know, it's actually come to me. You also said you're a Christian. Are you praying enough? Maybe that's the problem. Oh, I guess. You know, Carrie, I really want to help you, but if you're not going to try harder, you can bet your kids are probably going to be in therapy someday. And maybe this guilt you say you're feeling should scare you into doing more therapy. Maybe taking some parenting classes. I don't know if you've thought about that. And you also said that you're involved in children's ministry at church, so probably telling your pastor about it so you can take a break from helping out. Because you don't want to be a hypocrite. I think that's just going to make it harder for you, right? You don't want to be one of those Christians who serves but secretly is failing, you know, and falling pretty short of a godly woman. What kind of message would that send to the church kids? Oh, I guess. I guess you're right. I don't know. I feel so confused right now. And scene. <laughs> and scene. Okay, that was awful. <laughs> I feel way worse. And if this was a real session, I'd be bawling right now and definitely not laughing. That would be fair. <laughs> so we're going to play out a different scenario. Same situation. Okay. Okay. So, Carrie, as always, it's so good to see you. Hmm. I'm curious if there's something specific you want to address in session today. If not, we can continue from where we left off last session. Oh, thanks. It's good to be here, too. I do have a lot I would like to talk about today. My anxiety has been heightened lately. I'm functioning fine, but I'm having trouble keeping my emotions in check. And it's making me feel like a terrible mother. I just mm. feel so guilty all the time. Mm. I guarantee my kids will be coming to see you when they're older. I just find the more stress I carry in my mind and body, the shorter my fuse gets and everything starts to annoy me. I love my kids with everything in me. Yet sometimes when they try to share with me all that's going on for them, I find I don't feel I have the time and rush our interactions. Or when it seems like they just can't understand what's needed to be done around the house or at school, rather than problem solve with them, I'm raising my voice and becoming frustrated very fast. I just feel so bad. Oh, Carrie. Whew, thank you for trusting me enough in yourself to share this. Mm. I know that's not easy. I so hear your heart for your kids and wanting to be a present mom to them. In your desire to attend to your kids, my heart is to help you attend to yourself. Mm. To hear what your emotions are telling you. So I'm wondering as you sit here, where are you experiencing anxious the most in your body? Oh... My anxiety always feels like a vibration mm. in my gut. Yeah. And it feels like everyone can see yeah. it. Like they can all yeah. see my anxiety. So like on right now in this session on a sliding scale from zero to 10, zero, I mean, you don't feel it at all. 10 being like, oh, I'm about to have a panic attack. Where would you land? I'm at an eight right okay, now. Okay. So quite, quite high. Yeah. Okay. So your body has been holding the difficult thoughts you have towards your capability as a mom these days. Mm how you're seeing yourself. I acknowledge you want to respond more kindly to your kids. And Carrie, we're going to work on ways later in today's session you can manage how you respond through your emotions. But for now, I think what would be most helpful is for you to simply have some space to let what you're feeling out in session today so we can sort through them together. How does that sound to you? Yeah, that sounds really good. Okay. You know, you know, I'm not a mom myself, but I, I know mom guilt is a term that can be used. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a real thing for many women who parent. And sometimes guilty is something we experience externally by the pressure to perform, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're on social media and see other moms. And sometimes it's an internal experience we have. We've talked about how emotions are communicators in past sessions. What would you say your guilty emotion is communicating to you right now? Oh, all I can think about right now is just, I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible Mm, person. I just can't get it together. Gosh, yeah. So it sounds like the voice of shame is speaking right now. Yes. Carrie, I've heard your heart many times when you talk about your kids. I have no doubt you love them wholeheartedly. I've come to know you as someone who was in therapy because you want to work on some hard things in your past and because you want to be a more present mom. Mm. I'm hearing you share your genuine remorse over how you've been responding or even not responding to your kids recently. And you're looking for ways to do some reparative work to help you communicate the way you want to be as a mom. Mm. Yeah, I'd say guilty is genuinely communicating. I haven't done something right, but by my kids and I do, I want to make it right. Mm. Can I, I just want to say this to him. That's an example of healthy guilt. Because when you speak shame over yourself and beat yourself up over your actions, shame tends to bury us deeper into seeing ourselves as problems Mm -hmm. rather than helping us look more compassionately at what's really going on. Hmm. The beautiful gift you can offer your kids is a gift of yourself, the self that is in process. And as I mentioned, I'm going to take the last part of today's session to help you navigate how to manage emotions and some helpful ways you can do repair with your kids because I hear you on that Hmm. and I want to support you. But for now, what I would like to help you with is developing a compassionate lens for yourself. (laughs) Shame's voice in your story has been loud for a long time, as we've talked about in your first sessions. But I want you to know I see some beautiful steps you've already made. And we're going to continue to make together. (sighs) Thank you so much. I feel like I can finally breathe. Mm. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) So, Carrie, how did you experience yourself? in relationship to the therapist in both scenarios? Yeah, well, as I kind of alluded to already, the first scenario, I just, I felt shamed. I felt not heard. I felt like something was wrong with me and that was being reiterated as true. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't doing enough and getting a list of things I should be doing. Um, Which you were already feeling when you were coming into that session. Like you already felt like you weren't doing enough and being enough and all of that. And the therapist just put more burdens on you. Yeah, totally. Um, And in the second scenario? Immediately I felt more at ease. Simply the difference in tone of voice. Mm. It was very inviting, calming. It felt safe to share and receive. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate that. We were going to look at tools and resources like to help, you know, with the actual like challenge, but that being heard and being held was first and foremost. And that was beautiful. Yes. Um, Yeah. The counselor in the second scenario met me where I was at. Mm. And I also felt like crying, but in a totally different way, (laughs) like in a way of relief and I'm not alone rather than. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you were you were pretty quick to end seeing that first in the first scenario. Get me out of here. Yes. And a note to our listeners, if that happens to you in real life, you have the full freedom to leave that office or Amen. shut down your laptop. Get yourself out of there. Exactly. Um, so thanks for participating, Carrie. 
These two scenarios may seem rather extreme, mm. but how often does the first counselor reflect our perception of how God sees us and reacts to us? <gasps> Amen. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Uh, in our last episode, we looked at how knowing ourselves as sinners is to know the love of God. Mm-hmm. The two cannot be separated. And we looked at how that played out in the parable of the prodigal son, where we see a son's repentance and the father's forgiveness. When we confess, when we bring shame and guilt out, when we speak it, we acknowledge our wrongdoings, being nudged by the healthy guilt that partners with empathy, compassion, and grace. And this idea of repenting points to our feelings of remorse for our wrongdoings. In both cases, God is lovingly leading us toward healing and transformation. But these safe spaces to confess, to speak our shame, to share in one another's humanity, they seem to be coming rarer and rarer. It's hard to find those safe spaces. Especially, I got to say, after a couple of years of... Yeah. I mean, I know it was different country to country, city to city, but being dispersed the way we were. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so confession is um, not something I would say I've practiced intentionally throughout mm-hmm. my life. Um, but being part of the Reformed tradition, prayers of confession and prayers of God's assurance have traditionally been part of the Sunday morning worship service where we share in this practice as a community. But just to clarify, this isn't a time to bare your soul and confess <laughs> sins to the person sitting next to you. This is a time when we read collectively a prayer of confession and then receive a prayer of insurance. It can be a very beautiful part of a service and a nice practice to include even in your own time of devotion. Because shame needs to be spoken in order to release its power. Self-imposed and unhealthy guilt requires a similar action. And yet this is so hard because it means we have to be vulnerable. We need to be in relationships of trust, love, grace, compassion, non-judgment, and active listening are all key components of this idea of confession. And at this time in my own walk, I wonder if the real beauty of confession is that it puts us on the path with God. And like any practice, the more and more we turn to God and practice confession, allowing his love and power to release the hold of guilt and shame that weighs us down, the more we will experience his light and freedom. It's true. And the more we experience it, the more we want it, making confession not something that is daunting, but life-giving. Yes, because what I hear through confession is that we're being drawn in by love Mm. rather than remaining disconnected through shame. Yes, exactly. In closing, we thought it would be nice to share this practice in community. So first I'll read a prayer of confession, and then we'll receive God's assurance of love. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change, open us to a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image, 
Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now receive God's assurance of love. The God who challenges us is also the God who encourages us. The God who confronts us is also the God who accepts us. Be assured that God is with us even now, accepting, guiding, and forgiving. Thanks be to Mm. God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. And thank you so much for being with us for our conversation today. May the real and tangible love of God be felt this week. Much love, friends. Mm